0: The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.
1: Welcome in. Rob Black sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. It's big time in the United States. As far as investing goes, I think largely because it's a new year and ultimately a new president. It's just a transition. We we keep hearing about the term transition team in Washington, D.C., and you kind of get it. Same thing going on with Wall Street right now, transition. It's not quite as presidential, per se, but it's still a transition. And it's still something that happens every four years, eight years to Wall Street, where you have to ring out the old and bring in the new kind of concept. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that works in the favor of the United States investor. We could kind of see what didn't work well with the previous administration. We could kind of see areas that need a little bit more love. We could see areas that got a little too fat. And we could change. To oversimplify things, I think the Biden administration will be very, very good for inflation. I think it'll be very moderate. You've got Janet Yellen running the Treasury. I think she understands about job creation well because of her background at the Federal Reserve trying to balance the needs of job inflation with wage inflation. Um, I think. There'll be moderate inflation. I think that is an almost ideal scenario. Now, again, some areas will get a lot more love than others. A lot of people believe electric vehicles and clean energy will have its day. Keep in mind, this is the second time in the history of Wall Street that we've gone through a a huge boom tied towards environmentally correct investing. It doesn't always end the way we want it to. The clean tech boom is getting bigger. There's a company called Breakthrough Energy Ventures. It is a clean technology venture capital fund led by hero of the internet, Bill Gates. So he's raised one billion plus dollars for a second round of investments following his backing of 45 startups with the first billion. Now breakthrough energy ventures began funding startups as the second wave of clean tech gained momentum. Now, when was the first wave? 2006 to 2011. Let's talk a little bit about that. Venture capital money is flowing. It's soaring. It's coming into the sector. Um, It's expected to be about $16 billion invested in 2019, up from $400 million in 2013. That's a 40 times increase. So clean energy, new president, seems to be the right place at the right time for investing. Do you have some clean energy in your portfolio? If not, question mark, why? I'm not judging you. The first clean tech boom lasted from 2006 through 2011. As an investor, this is how you get wealthy. You study things. The financial crisis of 2006 to 2008. um, That kind of lingered into 2010 where we kind of got a bubble, a bursting, and then a recovery. There was a bubble in there. And there was a housing bubble that brought down the environmentally friendly bubble of investing. So when you go back to 2006 as an investment concept, now suddenly you're going about 15 years, right? But we've thrown a lot of money into the technologies around agriculture, buildings, transportation, manufacturing. And we need these companies to be profitable so that we can say, we want to throw another $25 billion in. Are you following? Software startups can be really nimble. Internet companies can dance around. But when you're a clean tech company, you're judged on how much carbon you're taking out of the environment. You're judged by how clean your energy is. It's a little bit different than the beauty and the ease of software and uh, Internet investing. So trying to bring the best innovation to customers will probably be what round two of clean energy ventures are all about. Let's make it real, as real as possible. Let's not come up with a carbon scrubbing technology that no one's going to use. The next billion is expected to go into 40 to 50 startups. The Bill Gates ventures. In some areas, they may not be able to find enough investment startups. But one thing you get when you get like a Bill Gates billion plus dollars is you also get access to his his network. And that's worth something, I believe. I don't know. Is it? So you're going to hear a lot about hydrogen in the next four years. You're going to hear a lot about electric vehicles. You're going to hear a lot about climate challenges, trying to reverse climate change. As an investor, do you have some exposure there? The company that I want you to play around with today is a Bill Gates company. And I want you to just do a little bit of investigating of what the hell is Breakthrough Energy Ventures. It's an area where Bill Gates gives billions of dollars to to invest in companies that have clean technology, momentum maybe, for lack of a better word, trying to cut emissions. Coming up with electric aviation, synthetic palm oil, zero carbon steel, hydropower turbines, companies that can do lithium mining, companies that do energy storage, um, I think the coolest one there, in my opinion, is nuclear fusion. Because in my 25 years of doing this, I once remember one company that had this super secret technology investment of how to get energy. And it was nuclear fusion. Essentially, you get two atoms to kind of play with each other, and you can heat an entire town through winter easily for like 500 years. Right. And you, go, well, that sounds better than coal or oil. And the technology wasn't there. That's the problem with a lot of this is that it, it I'm not going to say it's confusing. I'm going to say that um, it's problematic because we want to believe almost. Can we make greener steel? that doesn't even make sense to most of us or greener cement or can we make long haul transport less pollution direct air capture hydrogen where you get energy and your byproduct is water hey, are you is it polluted water like what's what's the negative here kind of thing right <laughs> So I'm sitting in for CFP Chad Burton, and my challenge to you is learn a little bit about the next four years. If all you hear is Biden clean energy, Biden clean energy, Biden clean energy, there's a pretty good chance that billions of dollars is going to go into this area. Now, if Jeff Bezos got elected, we'd be like, oh, let's, let's invest in startups. If Dr. Fauci got elected, we'd be like, let's invest in biotech companies. We kind of can see what the next four years could, could start to look like. You have a relatively very old president who has a chance to leave a legacy of clean energy. I think it's a no-brainer. Do yourself a favor. Look up Bill Gates' Breakthrough Energy Ventures. Just start
0: studying what the concept means. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: CFP, Chad Burton, and myself have worked together for a long time. What's pretty interesting about it is I, I genuinely think we don't really like each other on a lot of levels. Now, let me explain that so that you know, you, people don't run into it and like Rob Black, hates CFP, Chad Burton. We're just different people. He's a little bit younger. I want to say he's a different generation. Um, I talk a lot about creating wealth and goodwill. He talks a lot about managing wealth. Um, we're both right. We just we approach two different problems. He's managing wealth, and I'm kind of trying to help people learn that Wall Street's not that mystical. That when you hear about 10% returns, there's not voodoo going on. It's just capitalism. And yesterday, I was going through a list of stocks that I want to personally buy. Um, and the list wasn't, like, shocking. It wasn't upsetting. It wasn't crazy. I'm not reaching for the sky. I'm not going, huh, I wonder if I should buy Amazon or Apple. No. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm looking for like secondary plays, not the, not the cavalry that got us here. Uh, let me give you an example. One company that I like enormously for the long-term patient investor, a broker-advisor for taking action on any stocks ever mentioned on this kind of show, would be a company like a Starbucks. Now, here's the problem with Starbucks. It's not that different than Apple and Amazon. Everyone kind of knows about Starbucks. Notice I didn't say I'm going to go after. Um, Tully's Coffee, or you name the competitor, Caribou Coffee, Pete's Coffee. I owned Pete's Coffee when there was four stores in California. I was like, this is the next
0: Starbucks.
1: And guess what? They're not the next Starbucks. (laughs) Um, I I, I bring that up only because it's kind of humbling. Now, did I make good money trading Pete's Coffee 20 years ago? I did. Over 25 years ago, I, I interviewed the CEO on my television show of Pete's Coffee. That led to Caribou Coffee, and I think I did okay with Caribou Coffee. It was 20 years ago. I might have broke even. In the end, I might have lost a little bit of money. But I seem to remember coffee had a big run back then. Wall Street's not very intelligent when it comes to brand new ideas. They tend to follow the money. And the money tends to say, we want the next Starbucks. And then Pete's Coffee does well. We want the next Pete's Coffee. And then you get into Caribou. The problem with Caribou Coffee was that when you make stores— they had like moose heads and skis and they, it looked like a ski lodge where you go into a Starbucks and it kind of looks utilitarian, right? It's, it's kind of sparse. The chairs aren't that comfortable. Um, It's not like a, a fireplace is raging like with caribou coffee. It's kind of like going into a restaurant. Like McDonald's has nothing attractive about the interior seating, but yet if you go to something like a Dave and Buster's, they're big comfy booths. There's video games. Those video games aren't free to buy. They're not free to play. Like, it, it's a different cost structure. I've been in radio stations where they put you in a closet and say, Welcome to the studio. And you're like, I, I, I'm pretty sure there's a mop in this room. And I've been to radio stations that have these glorious studios that they have couches in them and microphone setups, and you can set up a drum set in them. Like, yeah. That that That's the cost, and that's when you have to learn how to read a financial statement. If I've taught you two things today, I want you to go study up on Bill Gates and clean energy ventures and just see what's he investing in. Gates is awesome. Like, every year he tells you, like, this is my favorite charity. And then he goes, this year I'm going to show you all the six books that I read that I – he picks up a book and he doesn't stop reading it until he's done. You know what I've done? I've started picking up books and stop re- and not stop reading until they're done. You know who inspired me to do that? Bill Gates. I read $45 of books, maybe $60 of books a week. Like I'm constantly trying to stay educated because I take this job relatively serious for you. Here's the question for you. Is there... Okay. Um... There's a, a mutual fund manager that I like a lot, a guy named uh, Hennessy, and he runs the Hennessy funds out of Moran, and he, it's really odd. He looks kind of like Dr. Phil. He sounds kind of like Dr. Phil. He's oblivious who Dr. Phil is. It's one of the greatest things in the world, because you're like, someone who looks just like Abe Lincoln, you're like, you got Abe Lincoln's beard, and he's like, who's Abe Lincoln? He has no clue who Dr. Phil is, and he talks like this. He goes, well, Maria Bartiromo. I expect the Dow Jones Industrial Average to be at 60,000 by the year 2026. And you're like, "Maria Bartiromo is like, what do you mean, 60,000?" And he goes, "Well, it's at 30,000 right now and it doubles every 7 years, so all I'm saying is the obvious." <laughs> he sounds like Dr. Phil. I I read his material every year. He writes letters to his shareholders because he runs mutual funds. I pick his brain. Who do you? Bill Gates has inspired me to read violently to extremes. Hennessy has inspired me with his approach. The Matthews Funds out of Asia. I know so little about Asia. I'm afraid of Asia. And here I am in charge of helping you create wealth. I'm your chief wealth creator, officer, something like that. Um, I've never, well, I've been to Asia. I was born in Asia. I know you're saying, is Rob Black Asian? No. I was born on a military base. And in the true honor of the movie The Jerk, I was born a poor black child. The movie The Jerk with Steve Martin starts with him saying he was born a poor black child, which is pretty interesting because he's pretty Caucasian in the movie. But he was raised by a black family. I was raised by a family with the last name Black. Very, very cute. In the black with Rob Black. Blickety, blickety, black. I'm black. I don't like my coffee black. So anyway, this whole segment kind of started with, I'm not looking for the obvious. I'm looking for the sub-obvious at this point in time. After market, it's been up 11 years in a row. Like, I'm looking for something kind of different. I don't know if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Um, Starbucks may even qualify for that because of our obsession with Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and Google and Netflix and Tesla. Like some companies that are premium companies are actually okay. Challenge yourself, read a book this week on investing. Challenge yourself, read a book on environmental investing. There's hundreds of them out there. Scott Galloway has a new book out on basically, um, Companies that are disruptors. Companies that are shifting beautifully, like business models from their strength, they're leveraging a new business model. So I still like Starbucks. Twenty four thousand coffee shops in eighty countries. They basically take a bean out of the ground and put water on it. No, no, no hot water on it. And they make teas and coffees. Um do I like Pete's coffee? Sure. Do I like Phil's coffee with that mint julep kind of thing? Absolutely, but where am I going to invest? Starbucks. I was looking at it yesterday. I won't buy it today or tomorrow or the next day. But that's where I. And again, I don't. I may not even buy it. Cancel broker buys for taking action on anything mentioned. I'm sitting in for CFP Chad Morton, talking wealth creation, concept investing, Biden, environment, and much, much more.
0: Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and your money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220, KDOW.
1: Welcome into the biggity, biggity, biggity biggity show. It's Rob Black sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. Chad has a secret Easter egg they can find at his website, chadburton.com. It's burton dot I'm sitting in forum. Start of the new year. Um, I'm going to be starting a, a podcast probably in March April. That's going to be a little bit more, like for lack of a better word, less focused on day to day action, more on strategy. I know strategy is not a word. It was the, my favorite word that the first, the second George Bush instituted. He had a funny way with words, but back then we were like, man, I don't know if he's even college educated what sort of president we got here. It is so easy to criticize presidents. Um, And I get it. I don't exactly think they attract. Well, I got to be careful what I say. Netflix. I'm talking about wealth creation. I'm sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. He is a wealth manager. Between the two of us, we can get you to retirement and through retirement. You I find a little Easter egg at chadburton.com. It's pretty easy to find. But anyway, um, Netflix stock up 13%. They reported earnings. Let's talk a little bit about it. Pandemic stock, right? I think we all know what Netflix is. It's not a surprise. It's not a shock. Started with the envelopes that would come through the mail. The red envelopes the The beauty of Netflix at one point in time, and they tried to sell themselves to Blockbuster and Blockbuster turned them down. Blockbuster was a DVD rental weekend kind of thing where Dad would get off work a little early on Friday, he would come home, he might pick up movies for the family at Blockbuster um and it was a three day rental, so you got it Friday night, even though you picked it up Friday at six p m that still counted as a night. then you got Saturday night and then it had to be back Sunday by midnight. And you got home Friday night and the wife was in a bad mood. The children made her cry that day. So you don't watch a movie that night. And the next day you start barbecuing. You get a little too buzzed. You fall asleep in the late afternoon. You don't watch the movie. And then you're returning the movie Sunday not watched. Or you return it Monday late. Two extra dollars. And Netflix said, screw it. We'll mail you your, your DVD. Somehow they got it to us in under two days. When you try to get an election ballot and it takes two months, when you try to ship something over Christmas and it takes 45 days, Netflix was getting us those freaking fragging movies like the next day. I honestly felt like I was walking to a post box at the end of the street, like not even going to the post office, but like waiting for them to come to the corner and pick it up. I would drop it in and the next morning there would be another one at my house. I'm like, wait, wait. How did they get it all the way there and all the way back to me? Ah, just enjoy it. I remember the first thing I binge watched. Do you? My first was The Sopranos. Because when The Sopranos came out, I was starting a business. I was building a business. I was falling in love. I was probably starting a family or trying to in a failed attempt. I know you're saying you can't kidnap children and call it a family fine don't let the details get in the way of a good story um but i remember that i remember all this right so in netflix they they almost sold to blockbuster and now they're one of the most valuable companies in the world and what they said last night was shocking they're up 13% today how is the stock up 13% when we all know about it it's not exactly like a secret it's not like during World War II when we sent in a brigade of skunks, had them march over the, the, the German line, and then drop bombs. And you're like, skunks? That didn't happen. Exactly. It, it's no big secret. It's not a big allure. Netflix is Netflix, right? You binge watch stuff on it. Um, I, I got through Dexter because I missed the first two seasons of Dexter. So I was like, screw it. Just get it on Netflix and catch up. Um, Breaking Bad. I actually watched the first episode when it was the first episode. I didn't have to binge watch Breaking Bad. I binge watched Breaking Bad the year season two came out. I'd rewatch season one. So I could kind of like remember everything that I wanted to remember. Cause that was such a good show. And you waited for that weird little moment that tied it all together. And I like, ah, and it was a puzzle that was beautiful. But, Brings that up, AMC should be uh, should be acquired at some point. All right, Netflix stock up thirteen percent day. They beat forecasts. We're in earnings season. Every ninety days, it's time to pay the piper, so to speak. They added a record thirty seven million paid subscribers in twenty twenty, and I go, what the hell are what? How did they add thirty seven million people? Was there a baby boom? It's suddenly 18 years ago where we making babies and then now they're all 18 years old and have jobs. And the first thing they want is an apartment. The second thing they want is Netflix. Which for the record, let's just say it's 20 bucks a month. It's not. But what a bargain if you're a family. If you watch one movie in a movie theater, it's easily 60 to 100 dollars. So 20 bucks a month to watch unlimited essential shows. And it it when you add 20, 37 million people, 37 million people paying 10 bucks, 15 bucks, 12 bucks, 16 bucks. That's a lot of people. So let's say a year is 10 months instead of 12. Let's just call that extra two months taxes or fun money. And you go ten dollars a month times 10 months. And you can kind of start seeing what people are paying, right? And then you go times 37 million people. So the problem with Netflix is at one point in time, they didn't create content. And one of the greatest debates ever on Wall Street is who's king? Is content king or is the infrastructure king? Is the Internet more important than the stuff we're reading on the Internet or the stuff we're listening to on the Internet or the stuff we're watching on the Internet? Which is more important, the road or the the cars that drive on the road? Well, at one point in time, Netflix was like, we're we're, we're just putting up Pixar films and HBO TV shows and Showtime shows. And we're licensing that. And some of it's better than others. So they're like, okay, computer, tell us. What is everyone watching? And it turned out it was um, Sex in the City. It turned out it was Dexter. It turned out it was Sopranos um, and Teletubbies. So round two, they're like, okay, we probably don't need that cooking show. So they're like, we don't need to license that technology because we know everything people are ordering on DVDs. We know everything they're watching on the brand new streaming service. They caught crap when they introduced a the streaming service. People were like, no, no, we want the, the we want the DVD. And they're like, well, we're going to separate two businesses. One will be DVD deliveries and one will be streaming. And people are like, oh, And ever since then, the stock goes up every freaking fragging year, 300%, it feels like. And we were in a hullabaloo about their business model when they transitioned to streaming. So 37 million paid subscribers this late. Now, the pandemic certainly brought people forward, no doubt about it. And you're like, you're desperate for content. You're like, lost in space. You're like, eh, it's not bad. It's a little too childish, but my children liked it. I didn't really care for it. And then you're like, uh, Stranger Things. Season one was a little slow. Season two was great. Season three was freaking fantastic. When will season four come out? And you kind of get dr- mentally into that kind of uh, concept with, with the way they do business. So its annual revenue surged 24% to $25 billion, driving its operating income up 76% to $4.6 billion. I have no fear of foreign TV shows two years ago, three years ago. I had a fear of foreign TV shows. Like I could do BBC. I could do the Sherlock Holmes kind of thing. I could do it. I, I, Dr. Who I couldn't do. It was just too fringe weird for me. Not, no, thank you.
0: Is what I want to say.
1: Um, but now I'm watching shows out in Spanish. I'm watching shows that are originated in Japan. Like, um, what did I watch last night? There was some horrible movie that if I paid 10 bucks for, I would have probably asked the manager back for my money. If if I took a date on when I was in high school, I probably would have said, Hey, let's make out like it wasn't that good of a movie, but it was, it was Netflix movie and you kind of know what you're getting into. It's either Adam Sandler, stupid or it's action light. Like their action scenes have 13 people, not 1300 people. Like you could kind of see where they're saving the money, but Disney Plus comes in. And Disney Plus has zero subscribers. So to go from zero subscribers to 100 million subscribers, a lot easier than going from 100 million to 140 million. Netflix reduced its free cash flow from 1.7 billion in the quarter to 300 million. It expects to shrink to around zero. They think their strong cash flow will allow them to finance everyday operations going forward. They are no longer going to have to borrow money. Even though in the last five years, they've been borrowing money at near zero percent, which is a great time to do it. If you want to see the United States spend $2 trillion on an infrastructure project, it's best to do it with the 10-year treasury is sitting around 1% than to do it with the 10-year treasury sitting around 4%. It's cheaper money that you have to pay back. Same thing goes with corporate America. Netflix counts the chess drama, The Queen's Gambit, which I think, honestly— Excuse me for saying this. It was one of the sexiest TV shows I've ever seen. I don't know why I'm saying that. I don't know if it was the red hair wigs. I don't know if it was the timepiece and the innocence and the sexuality repression. But it was a fun show to watch. Bridgerton. eh, I'm missing that one. The Crown. eh, I don't get the obsession with the inaugurations. The Coronations. Ooh, did I just slip? on Biden's coronation day. (laughs) Don't say that out loud because people will get angry at you. I'm allowed to say it because I can hide behind an air chair microphone. You can find me sitting in for CFP Chad Burton at chadburton.com. That's B-U-R-T-O-N.com.
0: Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. A little
1: background on me. I had a strong desire to be a writer. I got to work on a great TV show. I got to work on a couple plays. I got to work on a couple scripts all while I was in college. So while other people were, how shall we say, being college kids, I got to to kind of live a very creative lifestyle working in both Chicago, believe it or not in one of the toughest neighborhoods in the world, which doesn't really exist anymore. Cabrini green, but also I got to work in, in some Hollywood scripts. Um, which led to a pretty good payday when I was very young, which led to when you get right. One of my good friends, um, is a pretty famous writer director and he did the movie training day and suicide squad. And I can name movie after movie that he's been part of, but I think training day to me was his best work to date. David Ayres. um, we went to college like I, me and his mother like were friends like I, that's how well I knew him. Don't know him that well anymore just throwing that out there. So my whole goal was to be a writer and to finance my writing with my investments. Because when you write and you work on a show or a movie, you don't tend to get paid as the writer until after the project is over. Um, there's a little bit to cover your expenses here and there, but there's not a lot. So my goal was long-term oriented. How can I continue to do this while also having a financial future? Because I didn't want to be a starving writer. I didn't want to end up in a hotel room or a motel room doing crack cocaine and trying to finish a script and getting it off to the producers at last second. Like I didn't want that side of the job. I wanted the the creative side of the job, but not with a struggle. I wanted the financial security of being a Wall Streeter. Which led me into, oddly enough, wanting to work on Wall Street. (laughs) I was good at it. I was good at research. When you could research a play from, say, 1850, and you could figure out they don't use words like, damn it, and you have to replace that word, or when you're working on a movie project and you have to move the project from, say, an ice cave to an ice cliff, or you want to move it from a cliff to a cave Anytime you shoot indoors, it's way cheaper than shooting outdoors. So when you see, like, George Clooney trudge through the ice and it's snowing and it looks legit, that's expensive. Getting the right lighting and getting the right amount of snow and, and getting the right sound and making sure there's not planes in the sky when you're trying to shoot on a distant planet per se. When you're in studio, you just, you say, well, instead of trudging through icy snow, let's just put him in an ice cave where it's really cold, but the audios would be a little bit better as we would expect because there's less wind howling and you get the idea. You save Hollywood money in goofy kind of ways. So my whole goal, when I got into the financial industry, I was, I wanted to be the, the analyst for a broker. And then I, I started working for a guy who is a registered investment advisor. And I was, I, was, I was his research department. He was crazy. like, He was legitimately, he had a marriage issue. So he had to go to Japan with his wife and he'd go, Rob, I'm going to land of one hand clapping. (laughs) And he'd walk out. I'm like, what am I supposed to make of that? So ultimately I got to the point where I was like doing really great work for him and I was really helping his customers and his customers started coming to me and asking me for advice and saying, if you ever do this, I'll gladly, I'll, I'll give you $10,000. I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars. I'll give you a million dollars. Like, so I eventually started my own company with a good friend. Um, but my goal was always to give people really good advice to help people create wealth it was to be the anti Jack in this case Jack was a jerk Jack was a guy who wore suits Jack had no brains he was a very good salesperson he could sell whatever concept I put in front of him as far as investment themes but he had no brains I was the wealth creator he was the salesperson People came to me and said, start your own company. And I said, I'll do that only if I can give good products to people, only if I can be a good value to people. That's always been my goal. So try to learn that there's a lot of people in this industry that know nothing. And there's a lot of people who are very creative and very smart. I like Dan Niles. I don't know why I like Dan Niles. I know that when I got in the industry, I would read Hennessy's annual reports I would order 10 annual reports. I'd order 10 quarterly reports. I'd get on the internet back when it was a chore to go debdebdeb.sec.com. No, no, debdebdeb.sec.gov. And I'd read quarterly filings. Then I met this guy who did an algorithm that would search for quarterly filings. And you search for quarterly filings with words like material. So you write a little algorithm and you say, I want to search all publicly traded companies where they say material. The ability for our company to go forward may be a material breach, maybe a material fact. Like you're looking for keywords, like the word bankrupt. You're you're looking for signs of stress or signs of optimism in, in government filings. And you're doing keyword searches. You're writing an algorithm that would get it to your mailbox the next day overnight. So you, you find people that you study, and, and ultimately, I, I say the first five to 10 years of investing should be a, a study-in period where you're accumulating wealth through index funds and ETFs. I used to say through low-cost mutual funds. Now I say index funds and, and low-cost ETFs. You don't need to buy a mutual fund. Actively managed mutual funds are kind of a uh, dodo word. They're not. They still have a lot of value to the right type of investor, but when you have an actively managed mutual fund, you're actively paying someone like Dan Niles to go out and and put boots on the ground and get to know these companies, and and he'll say, well, I'm going to charge it to the company, the mutual fund. You don't need that. So I actually met Dan Niles, and I I go, you know, when I started my business 25 years ago, I used to read you vehemently. Like You were my rock star. And he was embarrassed by that. From nineteen ninety-four to two thousand, he worked for a company, Robertson Stevens. He was an investment banker and a research analyst. His first jobs. He left those to give better products to other people. You should find some gurus who you really like in this industry. Scott Galloway, Dan Niles, Bill Gates are just some of mine. Find Chad at Chadburton.com.